Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we were privileged to be able to look at Romans chapter 6 and understand something of the benefits of Christ's suffering and death. We who are crucified with Christ, buried with Him, are also made alive in Him. And so, what we see here is equally important to the benefits of the death and suffering of Christ is His glorious resurrection. Because without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there would be no benefit to His suffering and death. And so, in some ways, we have before us in 1 Corinthians 15 a companion to help us to understand Romans 3 through 6. Indeed, confirming to us that the wages of sin indeed is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, in your pew Bibles, you can find that on page 1322, 23. 1323 in your pew Bibles. Let us hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so, in Christ shall all be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, delivers to God, the kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident 
that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin for some do not have the knowledge of God. I I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow you do not sow that the body that shall be but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, also, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death! Where is your sting? O Hades or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Our theme for this afternoon will be confessing Christ's resurrection. And we'd like to look at Lord's Day 17 in light of that as well. Lord's Day 17, question and answer 45. 
What does the resurrection of Christ profit us? Answer, first, by His resurrection, He has overcome death, that He might make us partakers of that righteousness which He has purchased for us by His death. Secondly, we are also by His power raised up to new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. You see this with the theme, Christ, confessing Christ's resurrection. And first of all, we'll look at the ground of our justification. And secondly, as we confess Christ's resurrection, we see the source of our sanctification. And thirdly, the promise of our glorification. First of all, if we, as we confess Christ's resurrection, we recognize that it is the ground of our justification. Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15, first of all, establishes the very truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds those Corinthians and us today that the Lord Jesus Christ indeed was raised from the dead. Even as He was buried, He rose the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen by eyewitnesses, Peter, the twelve, over 500 brethren at once, many of them who still remained at the time that Paul wrote this so they could go and, and, and ensure that this was factual. He was seen even by Paul himself as one who was born out of due time. One who was shown and revealed the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus to persecute the church God stops him and arrests him and he sees the glory of Christ seated even at the right hand of God. And so there we find the truth of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul is struggling with conveying this message and the truths of this message to those who were also in Corinth who denied the resurrection. And so therefore, he is, is bringing to focus that if Christ is not risen, there is no salvation, period. And he wants to establish this indisputable truth of the resurrection of, the, of Christ in order to provide comfort and encouragement for the Christians in Corinth. And that first comfort is especially found in the fact that it is the ground of our justification. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do so many of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Because if Christ is not risen, in verse 17 He says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And all those who have fallen asleep, who have died, they are still also in their sins and they have perished. You see, if that's, if that's true, we are of all men most pitiable, he says in verse 19. But the, but the argument that he's making is that Christ indeed has risen from the dead to prove that his work was acceptable to God. That His suffering and His death and His perfect obedience fully satisfied the wrath of God against sin and gives those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ a right standing with God. And if Christ had not risen, then how would we know that God has received this sacrifice and it was accepted by Him? We would be of all men most pitiable. Paul says, I, I wouldn't even have this calling. And my, myself as a pastor would not have this calling to bring the Word of God, to preach the Word of God. Because that preaching would be empty, it would be vain, it would be fruitless. Because no one would ever be reconciled to God by a preaching of a lie. Never. 
And so he says that the heart of the matter of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the fact that we are made right with God, justified before God. What is justification? Well, justification is a judicial act of God. It is one who declares another right or righteous. And so God, as a just and a holy God, one who is perfect, cannot overlook sin. Because sin must be punished. And perfect obedience needs to be merited and earned in order to be right with God. Because that's what He requires of us. He emphasizes that point in verse 21 and 22. For since by man came death, man was responsible for that. By man, the Lord Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. You hear the echoes of last week. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because we who are buried in Christ are also made alive through His resurrection. And the very fact of the resurrection proves this. The only way a sinner can have life and communion with God and fellowship with Him to be reconciled with God is to have all of their sins forgiven and to be counted perfectly righteous. Not a one of us can say that by nature. Not a one of us. This can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ earning it for us and imputing it upon us. Notice how he says this in Romans 4, verse 24 through 25. He says, but he says, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We have this imputed righteousness because He was raised for our justification. Well, what does it mean then for Him to impute that to, our, to us? To impute Christ's righteousness to us? Well, it means to simply place it on our account. So that when we stand before God, God looks at the record of our account and He sees perfect obedience, perfect obedience, perfect obedience. And He sees nothing of our sins. They're covered in the blood of Christ. And all on the side of this account is perfect obedience. Because of Christ's obedience. And so we recognize that does not come from ourselves. That comes from God from, through free grace alone. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we merited it in any way. Period. It's, maybe this illustration will help. Maybe you borrowed $100,000. And you lost it all. You lost it all. And the lender, he takes you to court because the payment is due. And you have no ability to pay. You don't even have one dollar to pay. You are completely broke. And so you come before the judge and you say, Your Honor, I know I owe this $100,000, but I don't have a dime to pay. I realize I must pay, but I can't. I've lost it all. The judge really only has one option, doesn't he? One option to declare you guilty and responsible to pay your debts, or there will be consequences. He doesn't have any other options. He's just. There's a wealthy friend that enters a courtroom. And he steps up and he says, I'll pay the $100,000. No strings attached. And that will settle his account. And the judge, he looks at this and he verifies that indeed this transaction can be completed. And he lets the poor, broke man 
go free. The count was settled in full with nothing to pay. You'd say that would be very gracious, wouldn't it? That poor broke man didn't deserve the wealthy friend standing up and paying the $100,000. He didn't deserve it at all. But think about how much more gracious our Lord Jesus Christ is. The one who paid the full amount, who satisfied the full wrath of God on account of our sin. The debt we owed to God because of sin could have never been repaid. Even if we would have had a million, a billion, a trillion years to repay it. We couldn't repay it. And Christ comes and He pays every penny of it. It can only be received by grace alone. We don't deserve it. And it can only be received through faith alone. When we believe in His resurrection. Think again of this broke man. He had to receive that payment, didn't he? He had to humbly receive that money from his friend in order to pay this debt. Wouldn't it be absolutely foolish for this man, this poor broke man, to say, you know what? I I, I can't take this money. I don't want this money. Or your money isn't good enough. He simply needed to receive this offer and receive this money in order to pay this debt. And that's, that's really what faith is, isn't it? Faith is a sinner with empty hands receiving what Christ has done and placing it upon His account. Faith is not a meriting hand to earn your salvation. Faith is not a paying hand to pay your debts. No, faith is a receiving hand. A hand that receives a hand that believes. Could you imagine this man? He says, you know what? He says to his friend, I don't believe you have $100,000, and so I'm going to reject your payment. That's what we would do if we would say, Jesus, I don't believe you can save a sinner like me. I'm going to reject your payment. Oh, we need to receive it by faith. Believing That Christ has the sufficient funds to pay the whole debt before God. And His resurrection proves that He had sufficient funds. He paid it all. You see, because without Christ's resurrection, there would be nothing to receive. We in Him would still be buried with Him in sin and under the wrath of God, under the bondage of death. You see, without faith in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there would be no living Savior. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no righteousness. Only death. That's what the resurrection testifies. There is justification with God. There is salvation with God. And it comes completely from God through Christ. If Christ is not raised, your faith is empty and you're dead in your sins. But look, He lives. He's risen. He's come. And He has overcome death. And He has declared victory over sin, over suffering, over Satan. When He cried out, it is finished. And then, when He bursts the bands of death, God is confirming the victory that it is certain that His work is approved in the courtroom of God. Do you believe it? Are you receiving His payment by faith? And are you a partaker of His righteousness? These questions are a matter of life and death for each one of us. There's really only two things to consider on this point. Either you are still in your sins bound by death and condemnation, or you are covered with the blood and righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when we confess that I believe in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that the grave is open. It's empty for the world to see. And there's a sinner who lives to receive sinners unto himself and to provide them with complete salvation. There is a Savior to deliver us from the wrath of Almighty God, to deliver us from sin, our old nature, Satan, and all the consequences of the fall. Because He is risen, He lives, He is our justification. Do you say, Hallelujah, what a Savior. He is risen indeed. That is the ground of my justification. But not only do we have this confirmation, this ground of justification and this right standing with God, but through Christ's resurrection, we also have a a changed condition. No longer are we dead, but we are made alive. And that's why we see that we are Confessing Christ's resurrection as the source of our sanctification. You see, justification is that one-time declaration of God to declare us right with Him. The debts are settled. But sanctification has more to do with our condition and our nature. As we pointed out last time, we have that new man living within us as a believer and he's fighting against the old and and taking over more and more of the territory. That's really a life of sanctification. And that sanctification, it flows out of that new life of regeneration. We are renewed by God in order to die to sin and to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so he as the source of our sanctification, empowers us to serve Him. It's a lifelong process of being conformed to Christ until He comes again in glory. Notice that in verse... You begin reading at verse probably 24 or even earlier. But uh, as, as you come to 24, we, we find there that... the. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father. Then he puts an end to the rule and, and all authority and power. But in the meantime, we have verse 25 through 28, where he's saying he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And that last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So Christ is now reigning, and he's making all things subject unto himself, also a believer as he's conforming his people into his own image. He has been given this authority. And even though justification happens in a moment, there's a process going on through Christ's reign from glory to make us more like him. And in this process, it comes with all kinds of challenges. And we need the strength and the grace of of God also in way of sanctification. Notice that, how he starts asking these questions, these rhetorical questions, in order to cause them to think about the truth of Christ's resurrection as to how they could endure such difficulties. I don't claim to really understand verse 29 if you have your Bible open, but um, and, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. But let's just read it and I'll tell you what at least we can come away with. Otherwise, he says, what will they do who are baptized from the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are, the, are they baptized for the dead? And, and here you could go all kinds of different directions and different commentators and whatnot. And, and I, th- I think the safest place for me right now is just to simply say, it has to mean something like this. Why would people be baptized and people be incorporated into the death of Christ if they know that Christ is not risen? Why would this even be happening? But because Christ is living, we are baptized to more than just the dead. We are baptized 
into also his life and incorporated into his life. He goes on to argue that the holy life of service to the Lord is a testimony of Christ's resurrection power. Notice verse 30. Why do you stand in jeopardy? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour, he says. He's asking, why would I endure imprisonment? Why would I endure beating and stoning and all sorts of dangers? Would we really risk our lives to become fools for Christ if He's not risen? He says, absolutely not. Would we endure all of these things if Christ is not risen? You see, the very resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is His motivation to preach the Gospel. As He says, I need to die daily to myself. Notice how He says that in in verse 31. He He says, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me. Earlier in this chapter, he also tells them, even though, even though he has even been a persecutor of the church, and now he has labored even more abundantly than they all, but it's not him, it's the grace of God that was in him. And therefore, he preaches, dying to himself to promote the cause of Christ. Why would anybody do that by nature? Anyone by nature would want to serve himself and serve his own cause. But Paul here is dying to himself. A Christian dies to himself in order to direct people to a risen Christ and to live out of a risen Christ. That's why in Galatians chapter chapter 2 he says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He rose in vain. You see, Christ was Paul's chief desire. Christ was his boast. Christ was his hope. And without the resurrection, there was no desire. There would be no boast. There would be no hope. And that's why he concludes in verse 31, I affirm. Which means that he's affirming his argument is based on this. By the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there's a rejoicing in the true repentance and faith that he's seeing in in fellow believers as they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As he, he himself realizes he must decrease and that the Corinthian believers must decrease and that we must decrease so that Christ would increase in our thoughts, in our motivations, in our desires. And so therefore, Christ becomes all in and all. He becomes Paul's and the Corinthians and all believers glory and faith as they believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask ourselves, are we too, like Paul, setting Christ as our chief desire and boast as as my all in an all? He's risen. He's alive. He even asks one other question in verse 32. He says, why would have I fought the beast at Ephesus if the dead do not rise? Why would I place myself in such danger if the dead do not rise? Why not just live a life of ease saying let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die? If Christ is not risen, and we don't rise, let's make the best of this life. 
That's not true. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray by such lies. Isn't that true? That That's exactly what happens time and time again in our lives and, and in our culture and in our children's lives. They're tempted again and again and again to follow the world's ideals of eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die, but, but you know we just need to enjoy our best life now. Even Christians talk that way. Don't be deceived, he says. Jesus even says, it is only a fool who says, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow, God will require of us our life. Because there is a resurrection from the dead. And so he exhorts us in in verse 34, with passion, he says, awake to righteousness. Wake up! Don't sin! He's risen! Risen to give us life! To be our sanctification, to be our source of empowerment to go forward in the strength of God. That's what we heard last week in Romans 6. Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That's it. Our holiness, our sanctification, it it finds its source and its strength and its effectiveness in the resurrection of Christ. You see the difference again, remember, in justification, Christ imputes righteousness, but in sanctification, He infuses us and empowers us to live rightly. Maybe you can think of it this way. You have a light bulb. Everyone can declare that this is a light bulb. You see the filament in it, you see the glass around it, you you know what that light bulb should do. But that light bulb will never do what it needs to do unless it's connected to the power supply. And as you turn the switch on, the power goes through the wires and into the light bulb, and the light bulb turns on, and there's light. So also in sanctification, you can be declared to be a light bulb, but you need the source of that power to to give light. And that is exactly what Christ does. He has come as the light to the world, not only to make us right with Him, but to make us lights in this world. And our source, our power supply, comes from Him. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Fight that good fight of faith through His empowering grace, through His victory over sin. Through Him being our risen Lord and King. Take your struggles to Him. He's risen so that we can trust His deliverance. He's risen so we can trust His protection, His guidance, His empowering grace. Awake. To righteousness. Paul challenges the Corinthians, doesn't he? Verse 34 with this. Some do not have this knowledge of God. Some do not have this source of power. He says, I speak to your shame. Because it's not because it's not been set before you. It's not because you haven't been reminded of it. I speak it to your shame. Is he speaking to my shame? To your shame? Have we lived out of the source of power that comes from Christ who's risen indeed? 
his conclusion of the matter is really found in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He is the source for that joyful service and that joyful sanctification when we die to self and live to Christ. But lastly, we confess Christ's resurrection as the promise of our glorification. You see, glorification is when Christ returns and the dead rise and we're given a new body to be reunited with our soul like Christ's risen body and to be able to live eternally with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. Already in verse 20 through 22, Paul here has made it clear that Christ has risen from the dead to become the firstfruits of those who slept. And verse 23 says, Indeed, this promise is sure, but each one in its own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward those who are Christ at His coming. And he's using actually a Greek word here to show that there's, there's an order in this rank. He's the firstborn from the dead, and we in Him will be raised also from the dead and have a glorified body even as he, His body. There's a guaranteed harvest of His resurrection. And when He comes to this question again in verse 35, He says, someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And He again answers, this question patiently, I think. But he says, foolish one, don't you know that a seed is sown into the ground? It must die in order to come alive. And so you can compare that also to a person. When they die, they are sown in death that they may be raised again. And really the conclusion of the matter comes in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Even though we can't fully comprehend this, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He says, This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That last enemy that's put under Christ's feet has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and His glorious resurrection. That this sinful, corruptible flesh, that this sinful, corruptible heart, that this sinful, corruptible mind, that this sinful, corruptible will will be cast off and we will be raised in incorruption. To never sin again. To never go astray again. To never become overcome by the influence of the wicked one again. To never become overcome by the world and its temptations. To never be overcome by our own sinful nature. Imagine with me a day to never sin again. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? This old man is buried forever and raised perfectly to be with God forever. This mortal, in all of its weakness, ravished by diseases and pain, and sorrow, 
and earthiness, this mortal will put on immortality to never experience pain again. No more sorrows, no more tears, no death, no grave. It's all too much for Paul to fathom. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's a sure promise. It's a pledge. Because it's impossible for God to ever lie. We heard that a while back from Hebrews chapter 6. It's impossible for Him to lie. And because the anchor of our hope is ascended to heaven, risen and ever lives, He has secured our glorification. That's why Paul could say he's persuaded that nothing, absolutely nothing, will ever separate him from the love of God. He's persuaded that this corruptible will put on incorruption and will be with Him forever. This mortal will put on immortality to be with Him forever. Did He not tell John? Does He not tell us today from Revelation 1, I am He who lives. He who lives. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of the grave and of death. And therefore, in Him we live forever. In His glorious mansions that He's preparing for us in glory. He comes to us today and He says, Don't fear. I am alive. I am risen. And he is a his resurrection is a promise of our resurrection. But don't forget, dear congregation, that our Lord Jesus Christ promises are not only for glorification. His promise of His resurrection testifies of eternal condemnation for all who are outside of Him. Paul says elsewhere, I knowing the truth of God, And knowing the terror of God, that God has given His Son to judge righteously. Yes, in saving sinners who come to Him, to justify them and to sanctify them and to glorify them, but also to judge rightly those who reject Him. He pledges of your resurrection unto condemnation as well. Are you, am I, right with God? He's risen. He's alive. And because He's risen and because He's alive, He... He opens His arms and welcomes sinners who come to Him today. He does. He's alive. Those who come to Him in faith and repentance, knowing they need that reconciliation with God, will you not flee to Him? Will you not take refuge in His Savior? A Savior who has begotten us unto a lively hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have confidence to cast ourselves at the feet of the cross because as we look up at the cross, we see an empty cross. As we look into the grave, we see an empty grave. But when we look up, we see Him seated at the right hand of God. And there he welcomes sinners 
for all eternity to be with him in glory. I confess the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's risen, I know that I'm justified by grace through faith. I know that I can face tomorrow because he's empowering me to do so, even to face that last enemy of death, knowing that death has lost its sting and that there's victory for all eternity through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you confess the resurrection of Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we stand in amazement at your finished work. We stand in amazement that you have crowned it with your resurrection, your ascension and session, and that there is coming a day as the exalted King of glory, you will come again in that twinkling of an eye at that trumpet sound when the dead shall be raised. Oh Lord, what a, what a hope, what a living hope for all your people. For then this body of sin and death will be made alive incorruptible, immortal, to live and to reign with you forever. Oh Lord, comfort those who, who may be even grieving over loss of loved ones today or in the past, that they also, through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, may know this living hope that there is for all who fall asleep in the Lord. Motivate us to be clear on the truth of our justification and, and the empowerment of our sanctification and the hope of our glorification because of your resurrection. And give us boldness to proclaim, He is risen. He is risen indeed. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.